Well, wasn't it? Absolutely. Oh, there we go. Got a little too excited there, didn't I? Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, this message uh, that we just read the scripture reading, let's go back to that. If you want to open your books to Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. There was a prophecy that um, called Daniel 8.14, the 2300-day prophecy, which was what started the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We were started because... The books were opened. The books for judgment. And the world didn't know that. But all the world needs to know that. Amen. That the books are open at register. Everybody's name that's in the book of life, their names will be gone over. And we're going to talk about that today. But we live in a world like the time of Noah where people continued to eat and drink. And nothing was, is wrong with eating and drinking. We need to do that. Though they did that to excess, it's just that they lived as if there was no judgment. That there was nothing to prepare for. And yet, Noah preached for 120 years. And for over 120 years, we as a church have been intending to tell the whole world that the books are open, that Jesus is coming back very soon. So let's go ahead and look at this verse here. Um... I do want to point out that um, this 2300-day prophecy, which says, He said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, or evening and morning, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. The sanctuary in reference here is this one in heaven, right? Yes. There was an earthly sanctuary, but it was only a copy of the, the heavenly. And whatever happened in the earthly was to teach us what's actually happening up in heaven. So it was instructional for us. And, uh, but at the t- end of the 2300-day prophecy, which we know represents 2300 years, it ended on October 22nd, 1844. And it was the end of that prophecy when the books were opened for judgment. And we'll talk more about that as we get into the sermon. But let's look at that scripture reading again. I beheld to the thrones were cast down, or actually set up, would be a better translation. And the Ancient of Days, which is the Father, did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was said and the, the books were opened. In Daniel chapter 7, it begins with a prophecy. It's, it is a prophecy. You have Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, the papacy. And after the papacy, there's always a scene called the judgment. So we know that after Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, pagan Rome, papal Rome that ruled from 538 to 1798, that every time in this list, four times, it mentions the little horn power of the papacy, that it also describes right after that the judgment. So the judgment was going to follow. 
the time that the papacy ruled from 538 to 1798. In Daniel chapter 7, it doesn't tell us the exact year the judgment starts and the books are open, but it tells us that it's sometime after 1798. Uh, the next chapter, the 2300-day prophecy, tells us that the sanctuary shall be cleansed, and that is pointing to the day of judgment. So we actually had a date when God would open those books, October 22nd, 1844. And even since then, how much of the world knows this is happening? That the books are opened, and we're going to talk, obviously, the sermons about that. But it noticed how it says how many books? Books, plural. So let's look at that. In the Bible, like Malachi, there is a book of remembrance. There are everything you've ever done in your life. Every thought, every deed, good or bad, is in this book of remembrance. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name. And they uh, shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, and that day when I make up my jewels. Make up his kingdom, right? And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall he return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Every person who enters into the service of God's name is written in the book of life. But there's also a book of remembrance that will record every good thing you've ever done. But it records our whole life. And there's a reason for that, because before Jesus returns, a decision has to be made. Amen. Um, whether to keep the person's name in the book of life or not. Because when Jesus comes, he brings his reward with him, which is eternal life. A new body, right? One that new body, eternal life, live forever. And so in this book of remembrance, that book of remembrance needs to show that you and I, after we accepted Jesus and our names in the book of life, the other book, that the book of remembrance shows that we were on a course, a life, where we were putting on the righteousness of Christ. Amen. That we were choosing not to live the old life unlike Jesus, but we were choosing to live the new life that is in Christ. Amen. Where we began to see people and treat people like Jesus. Our lives became more like the life of Jesus. We began to have the thoughts of Jesus, the mind of Jesus, yes. the faith of Jesus, the humility of Christ. It began to show that this book of remembrance was showing that I'm now living a different life. And it's recording everything I'm doing, showing that my life has been changed by Jesus Christ. And if you keep that movement going and the book of remembrance keeps showing that, when it comes to your name coming up in the judgment, God's going to what? He's going to keep your name in the book of life and blot out all your sins. Okay, we'll look at that more as we go on. The other book, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. This is Revelation 3, 5, by the way. And I will not blot out his what? Name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So when you accept Christ, your name is now written in the, the book of life. But if you never give your life to God, your name's not actually in the book of life. It's only in the book of life to them who accept him who is the life. Right? But then there's still the book of remembrance to, sh- to show whether we continue to love him who is the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. He has to decide 
who's safe to save or not. So there's not another rebellion. And that's all recorded while this other book, this book of remembrance is there. But notice this beautiful scene, and we'll talk about this uh, in another Sabbath coming up. But notice what it says in Revelation 3, 5 at the bottom. This is the last thing Jesus does who's ministering for us right now in the heavenly sanctuary. He intercedes for us, and every time we fall, he says, Father, my blood. They have confessed their sins. Please look at my sinless life instead of the sin they just confessed. Mm -hmm. May my blood cover this repentant sin. Mm -hmm. Okay? And the Father will forgive. But the last thing Jesus is going to do before he walks out of the most holy place, puts on, takes off his priestly garments, puts on his kingly garments, because he's returning not as a priest. He's not returning as a lamb. He's returning as a king. To set up his kingdom. Yes. And he has to decide who's going to make up his kingdom. Who's going to make up his jewels, right? Yes. Well, before he returns as king, he has to be both lamb and priest. And in fact, he had to first come as a lamb, right? Because mm-hmm. he couldn't be a priest without a sacrifice. Yes. So if Jesus doesn't die as a lamb, and he just starts interceding for us as a priest, then what would he offer as a sacrifice? Lambs and goats, but lambs and goats can't take away sin. Yes, sir. Is that true? Yes, sir. But Christ's own precious blood takes away sin. Mm-hmm. But you can't have a, be a priest unless you have something to offer. So he couldn't have been a priest first. He first had to die for us. Mm-hmm. So Jesus comes and becomes one of us. He dies on a cross for our sins, becomes the perfect sacrifice. Then he ascends up to heaven as our high priest to be able to now offer his own perfect sacrifice on behalf of us who are sinners needing to repent. Does that make sense? So he has to be a lamb and a priest, which he is right now, before he returns the second time as king of kings and lord of lords. But there is something he's going to do before he leaves the sanctuary in heaven and before he returns as king. And it's right here in this verse. He will confess to the Father, to all those who are overcomers, and the book of remembrance would show whether they're overcomers or not, right? Mm -hmm. Everything's recorded, and as long as you're living by the power of God, you're living by the power of the gospel, which changes us, the book of remembrance will reflect that. And so Jesus, as his last work, can say, Father, Gregory Joyce, We have looked at his book of remembrance, and he's an overcomer. He gave his life to you 40 years ago, and throughout those 40 years, he was putting on my righteousness, Christ's righteousness, showing that he loved me, Father. He gave himself to me and lived by faith. Father, I confess his name to you and to all the angels that he's deserving of eternal life, Please, Father, blot away his sins and keep his name written in the book. Now, friends, that is the most precious scene. This is what you live for. You don't live in this world to have bigger homes and more barns. You live day by day so that when the day comes and Jesus now confesses your name, 
it will show that you have chosen to be an overcomer by Jesus. You want to live for Jesus to be able to confess your name before the Father and before all his angels because he has to say it before the angels because who's Jesus coming back with? All his angels. And the angels need to know who to get as the redeemed. But they'll know before they leave heaven who to get because Jesus has confessed their names before the Father and before them. Isn't that a beautiful scene? We don't have a lot of time before Jesus leaves the most holy place. And one of these days, the life of the living is going to come up if it hasn't already started. Time could be very, very short, friends. And this is all very real. And that's really our focus today is to talk about this. But we have these two books, the Book of Remembrance and the Book of Life. Now, keeping our names in the Book of Life. First Testimonies, page 405. Very little self-denial and sacrifice is necessary in order to put on a form of godliness and have the name upon the church book. Yes, But to live in such a manner that our ways will be pleasing to God and our names registered in the the book of life will require watchfulness and prayer, self-denial and sacrifice on our part. Why do you have to be watchful and prayerful? Because you have an enemy out there who's trying to influence your book of remembrance. What he's trying to get you to do is to sin, 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 sin. So the book of remembrance is recording a life that's really not in Christ anymore. You may sit in the church and have your name in a book roll, a church roll. But the book of remembrance will show that you really weren't in Christ. And he knows, he knows what's going on here. He wants that book of remembrance to demonstrate that you really didn't live by faith, only by name. And he knows that your name will be blotted out and not your sins. You see, this is why we have to be watchful. Because you know the devil knows you better than you know yourself. He writes down every one of your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to push your buttons. But you see, every time he pushes a button, you have a chance to become stronger. Yes, sir. Not weaker. You have a chance to be stronger because if you become an overcomer, as it says in Revelation 3, 5, yes, that book of remembrance will show that you made a choice on behalf of Christ. Yes, you chose to be an overcomer. And that book of remembrance is going to show that. So when you are tempted and tested, You have an opportunity to have written in that book of remembrance beautiful things where it says, June overcame this today. Praise God. Right? That's what you want written in that book. Today, Jeff was tempted with this, but he chose to deny himself of that and chose Christ. That's what you want the book of remembrance to record every day of your life. Which means this is how you must, you and I must start our day, is with Christ and continue to walk in the presence of Christ. Amen. And as long as you choose to walk by faith, yes, the book of remembrance is in your favor. Yes, and if the book of remembrance is in your favor, then the judgment's in your favor. Amen. Yes, and your name stays in the book of life. Amen. And you get to live forever in a new body. How many want a new body? Amen. 
How many want to live forever in a new body? Well, this is a daily matter. Yes. This isn't that I accepted Jesus 40 years ago. Accepting Jesus 40 years ago put my name in the book of life. Mm-hmm. But it didn't guarantee me that my name couldn't be blotted out. That's right. Okay? Whatever may have been your past experience, however discouraging your present circumstances, if you will come to Jesus just as you are, weak, helpless, and despairing, our compassionate Savior will meet you a great way off and will throw about you his arms of love and his robe of righteousness. He presents us to the Father clothed in the white raiment of his own character. Mm -hmm. He pleads before God in our behalf, saying, I have taken the sinner's place. Look upon this way... Look not upon this wayward child, but look at me. Yes. Isn't that a beautiful statement? That you and I, when we first came to Christ, and we said, Father, forgive me of, of my sins. I accept Jesus as my Savior. Jesus then stands in our place and says, Father, don't look at this wayward child. They just asked to be forgiven. Yes. Now look at me, yes. the perfect sacrifice who's going to stand in his place. And so the father looks at Jesus, who now steps in the sinner's place, and says, they are accepted. Put their name in the book of life. What a moment. The first thing you and I have to do, we got to make sure our name's in the book of life. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, don't ever hesitate. Make sure your name's in the book of life, because if it never gets in the book of life, you can't receive eternal life. But once your name's in the book of life, it doesn't end there. Now you're working on the book of remembrance to demonstrate that you love Jesus with your whole heart. Make sense? Amen. So on October 22nd, when Jesus actually entered into the most holy place to begin the work of judgment, when the books were opened... And he began to judge the human race, starting with Adam and Eve. And working all the way successfully down through the generations till he gets to the time of the living. We don't know how far along this judgment has gone. We're not told. In fact, it's better that I don't know when my name comes up. If God said, oh, Jeff, your name's coming up in three years from now. What might I do? Sow some wild oats and say, hey, you know, I've got three years. <laughs> but what if he said, I'm sorry, Jeff, your name came up two years ago. What might I think? There's no hope. It's better that I don't know my name when my name comes up. So that I can live by faith every day. Not knowing. But what I do know is one of these days my name will come up. That I need to live for. I need to be living, not knowing the day my life, my name comes up. I need to make sure that every day, every day, I'm right with Christ. Every day I choose to commit myself to Christ. Everything, every day is my first work. Father, is there any sin yet in my life that I haven't confessed? I give it to Jesus. Father, be with me today. Whatever the test, whatever the trial, help me to be an overcomer. Because that's what every day is going to present. Every day you want to make sure your slate is clean with God. And every day you want to put on the armor so that you can be an overcomer today. 
Don't try to do it in your own strength. Do it in the strength of God's divine power. And all the tools that he gives us, the promises of God, his word, all these things are available to us to be overcomers. All of heaven wants you to overcome. Amen. And so, um, so on October 22nd, this was one of the most amazing things. As we read the verse in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, all the angels were there. Every, every heavenly being was there on October 22nd in heaven when the books were opened and the judgment started. How many people on planet Earth knew that, that day? Nobody. There was a people who believed in the 2300-day prophecy. There was a people who believed in October 22nd, 1844. But they didn't understand that the books were opened. And that Christ was going to the most holy place. They thought Christ was returning to planet Earth to cleanse it with fire. But you know in the Bible, the sanctuary is never cleansed with fire. What's it cleansed with? Blood. So Christ wasn't going to come to the earth October 22nd, 1844. Because we don't know the day or the hour of Christ's return. But what we do know is that on October 22nd, 1844, is when God began the judgment and he opened the books beginning with Adam and Eve. A most solemn event. That God wasn't going to keep this event secret to the human family. He wants us. He loves the human family. He gave his own son to the human family. How could he not want us to know when the books were opened? So he gave a prophecy concerning this. So that those who believed in this could then tell the world that this day has happened. This day has started. Okay? It would give an urgency. An urgency to the human race to make them, their lives right with God. We just studied a Sabbath school lesson uh, where Jonah was supposed to tell Nineveh that it needed to repent. And if it do, it wouldn't be destroyed. But if they didn't, isn't that like a judgment hour message? That if you don't repent and be right with God, your city's gone. Well, what's the difference? It's the same thing, right? Well, now we're talking about the whole world. So Hiram Edson was one of those Millerites, William Miller being a Baptist preacher who was the main personality in preaching the 2300-year prophecy ending October 22nd, 1844, thinking it was the second coming. And, uh, but it wasn't. But a whole group of people were waiting for it, about 100,000. And when the disappointment came and Jesus didn't come, there was less than 50 who remained faithful to the prophecy. Others remained interested in the prophecy, but they kept moving the date. Oh, it must not have been October 22nd, 1844. Uh, let's refigure the date. We must be, our math must be wrong. So they set it for 1850. Um, and then some. That became the Adventist church, or the Advent church. You ever seen an Advent church? They were the, actually the, of the 100,000 waiting for Christ. They became the largest body initially after the disappointment. And what became our church was the smallest body of those Millerites. It was less than 50. But they didn't change the date. They knew something happened. And they didn't, wouldn't have to wait long to find out what it was. 
So the very next day, there's a guy named Hiram Etson. He has a farm over in New York. Elena and I went there a couple years ago, kind of hoping to find the cornfield where this vision happened. But they said, we don't know. It wasn't necessarily even his cornfield where he saw the vision. It's probably a good thing because we'd probably turn it into an idol, right? And so anyway, after breakfast, this is the morning of October 22nd. After breakfast, I said to one of my brethren, which is Crozier, let us go and see and encourage some of our brethren. We started, and while passing through a large field, it was a cornfield, I was stopped about midway of the field. Heaven seemed open to my view, and I saw distinctly and clearly that instead of our high priest coming out of the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary to this earth on the 10th day of the 7th month, October 22nd, and at the end of the 2300 days, 1844, he, for the first time, entered it on the day into the second apartment of that sanctuary, and that he had a work to perform in the most holy place before coming to the earth. That he came to the marriage, or in other words, to the Ancient of Days, the Father, to receive a kingdom, dominion, and glory, and that we must wait for his return from the wedding. And my mind was directed to the 10th chapter of Revelation, where I could see the vision had spoken and did not lie. So every angel in heaven was present October 22nd, knew exactly what was happening. The books were open, the judgment started. But nobody on planet Earth knew that. Does that kind of remind you of what happened when Jesus was born a little bit? How many people were waiting for Jesus when he was born? Not very many, right? And there weren't very many uh, on this major event in the ministry of Christ. So, so Hiram Edson is a farmer. And he's going to this cornfield, and Crozier's talking with him, and Crozier keeps walking, not knowing that Hiram Edson stopped. And Hiram Edson looked up in heaven, and God revealed to him their mistake. It wasn't in the date. 2,300 days does represent 2,300 years. It did begin in 457 B.C. with the decree to restore Jerusalem and the wall. It did end October 22, 1844. But now he sees that Christ wasn't coming to the earth. He was going to meet with his father in the most holy place. And he's shown a vision of this. Crozier then turns around seeing Edson, you know, a number of steps behind him, looking up to heaven. So let's look at our next one. And that's, that's when they first realized. So the next day, there would have been three people who understood what happened the day before. Just three on planet earth. So you had Edson, a farmer, Crozier, a school teacher, and Han, a physician, prepared a publication called The Day Dawn, explaining the subject of Christ's work in the heavenly sanctuary. So that was the next day. So every angel knew what happened on the 22nd. Only three people on planet Earth knew by the 23rd. And the only reason I'm pointing this out is sometimes when God tries to teach us a truth, it's not that we grasp it right away. And sometimes it takes a while to take it to the world. Okay? Um, it took several months of studying and appeared in the winter of 1845-46, this, this explanation, which was more than a year after the disappointment. It appeared in the Daystar Extra, February 7th, 1846. So about 15 months or so um, after what actually happened in heaven, this amazing event where the judgment started and the books were open. Um, actually wound up getting, for the first time, into print to be able to take it to the world. Isn't that an amazing patience of God, okay? Who's, who, who waits for us finite, fallible human beings to get the work done on planet Earth. 
In a statement written on April 21, 1847, Ellen White endorsed the article by Crozier and said that he had the true light on the cleansing of the sanctuary. Of course, that would put this now over two years later. Two years later. Uh, meaning that there's still very, very few people on planet Earth. And by, by this time, the, we had our first billion people by eight, 1830. So there's over a billion people in the world and you could count on almost two hands how many people even knew about this. This is a very solemn message. It affects the whole human race. In February of 1845, Sister White saw both the father and the son sitting on a throne. Then she saw both going into the most holy place at the end of the 2300 days. This is, um, what is that, 16 months after the disappointment? No, no, not that long. Uh, maybe four or five months later, she sees and vision this, okay, after the disappointment. On March 6, 1846, she saw a halo of light surrounding the fourth commandment in the most holy place in heaven because initially they were Sunday keepers. And it wasn't until 1846 where she saw in a vision um, the actual fourth commandment, the seventh-day Sabbath, with a halo around it, which is a special present truth for our time, uh, or one of them. On March uh, 24th, 1849, she was shown the shut door of the first apartment in the heavenly sanctuary. So I'm, I'm pointing this out because it took a little time to develop our understanding of the sanctuary and be able to take this message to the entire world that the judgment had started and the books were open and there's a real heavenly sanctuary and Jesus is our minister there. People didn't know this when the disappointment happened, didn't know it very well anyway. Uh, but they began to know it pretty well afterwards in a short time, but still, God's patience with us. Um, but there comes a time when God's going to take the work in his own hands because we as human beings are taking too long. Do you believe that? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. How do you calculate that? People are trying to figure out the day Jesus is coming, but how do you calculate the day Christ takes the work in his own hands and work goes very quickly? Okay. Notice what Crozier also wrote in this Day Star Extra, February 7th, 1846. Uh, notice the deep study involved. Uh, most of the Christian world has completely rejected the concept of a sanctuary in heaven, especially a two-apartment sanctuary in heaven, and there's reasons for that, uh, which are erroneous. The sanctuary of the New Covenant is on earth. Notice how he says this. But in heaven, um, the sanctuary of the New Covenant is connected with the New Jerusalem, like the sanctuary of the first covenant was the old Jerusalem. So as they studied, and this didn't take too long, we're just talking about 16 months, they understood the, the, the first covenant and the new covenant. Well, the first covenant was with Moses, right? And I could even go back before Moses. Didn't God make a covenant with Adam after he sinned? Mm -hmm. That there would, he would send his son? And this is why they had sacrifices right away, which we called burnt offerings. So those burnt offerings of a lamb always represent a Messiah to come, of which Adam and Eve hoped it was their first son, which unfortunately became a murderer. It wasn't Jesus. Jesus would wait many 4,000 years before he would come in human flesh. But people were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And eventually you get to Moses and God elaborates that burnt offering into the whole sanctuary service with a building and all the sacrifices and a priesthood. And who established the first covenant? God did. God's the one that told him how to build the sanctuary. God's the one who told him who should be the priest. God's the one who told him what sacrifices there were to be. So the first covenant, is it good or bad? It's still good. 
is still good because it's good because it pointed to a time where there'd be the new covenant where those lambs that were slain would actually point to when Christ would actually die on the cross for us. It would point that all these Levitical priests, they weren't bad. They just simply pointed to a time when Christ would be our priest in the heavenly sanctuary. None of the first covenant was bad. It's just that if that's all you have, if Jesus never comes here, if Jesus never dies as a lamb, never becomes our high priest, the first covenant can't save you. Because a Levitical priest can't pardon you of your sins. And the blood of rams and goat can't cover your sins. So the reason for the first covenant was simply to point to the new covenant. The one that could take away sin. Okay? So Moses has a sanctuary made with hands. But Christ has a heavenly sanctuary in heaven not made with hands, human hands. The finite Levitical priests, they live 70 years, they die, you get another priest, whatever. But Jesus is our eternal priest who lives forever. Animal sacrifices, lambs, goats, and so forth. But Christ's own blood dies once for all. Mm-hmm. Old Jerusalem versus New Jerusalem. First covenant, new covenant. Is the new covenant better? Absolutely. Not that the first covenant was bad, it just couldn't take away sin. It only pointed to the that which could take away sin. Does everybody see that? Yes. So when was the transition? Then verily the first covenant, which was with Moses and so forth, had also ordinances of divine service, which is true in a worldly sanctuary. Is that all true? Yeah, it had an earthly tabernacle. For there was a tabernacle made, the first one, there was a real candlestick, right? A seven-branch candelabra, and the table of showbread, uh, which is called the sanctuary, that first apartment, the holy place. And after the second veil, if there's a second veil, there must be a, a first veil. So there was a veil into the holy place, and now the second veil, which is called the holiest of all, or the most holy place, okay? So in the earthly, you had two apartments, the first apartment, holy place, and, of course, the, the second apartment, the most holy place. But notice what it says in Hebrews, or later on the chapter, So it recognizes the first covenant, but notice what it says here. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all uh, was not yet made manifest while the first, the first temple, was yet standing, which was a figure of the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. As long as Moses' sanctuary was still up and functioning as God intended, Christ couldn't be in his heavenly one, right? But as soon as Jesus dies on the cross and then ascends up to heaven, then the earth, the heavenly one can start because the earthly has accomplished its purpose. Now, it was physically still standing until 70 AD, but it wasn't recognized by heaven anymore. It didn't matter if they still sacrifice lambs and goats. It wasn't going to do them any good because Christ's own sanctuary replaced it. Okay? But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands, that is to say, not of this earthly building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place in heaven, having obtained eternal redemption for us. 
So we had no way of receiving eternal redemption through the earthly unless it pointed to the heavenly. Our salvation comes from above. That's why he said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again, born from above. If heaven doesn't minister for us, there's nothing that happens on planet earth that can, you know, cover your sins. And it takes heaven's involvement for us to make it to heaven. Jesus, when he had cried again a loud voice, so this is again, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple is rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. So as soon as Jesus died on the cross, the veil and the earthly was torn by an angel from top to bottom, signifying the end of the first covenant and the entrance into the, the new covenant. Okay? O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and ye would not behold your house. Is he talking about their residential house? The temple right there. Your house is left unto you desolate. So what was necessary was that the earthly was going to come to an end. And if they continued focusing on their earthly and never accepted Christ and his heavenly ministry, their house is simply left unto them desolate and there's no way to get to heaven through blood of bulls and goats and Levitical priesthood. Okay? Only through Christ himself. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest. Imagine Paul's excitement at this. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. We have such a high priest who sat on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary under the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest. Let's stop there. Could Jesus have been a priest on planet Earth? No. Why? Because to be a priest on planet Earth, he had to be from the tribe of of Levi, but Christ was from the tribe of Judah. So Christ could not have possibly served as a priest on Earth. He could be a, a lamb slain from the foundation of the Earth, from the world on Earth, but he couldn't be a priest on Earth because he's not a Levite. And it wouldn't do us any good. He had to die for us to be the lamb and then ascend as priest. Um, Seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto an example and shadow of heavenly things. So it wasn't bad. It pointed to the heavenly. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the heavenly pattern shown to thee on the mount, Mount Moriah, right? But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of, of a better covenant, yes. which was established upon better promises. So you don't, you don't have Paul saying the first covenant was terrible, it should never have happened. No, it, it pointed to something that was better. That was its whole purpose, was to point to the truth, something better, something that could actually take away sin. Yes. Okay? Now, here's the prophecy that pointed to the time when we go from the first covenant to the new covenant. It's a 70-week prophecy, which unfortunately many churches apply to Antichrist and not Christ. But notice what it says here. 70 weeks 
is 490 days, right? Yes. Seven days in a week. Are determined upon thy people, the Jewish people, and upon thy holy city, the old Jerusalem, to finish a transgression, to make an end of sin or sin offerings, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision of prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Amen. Now, as we di- dissect this verse, it's telling us in these words that we are going to go from the first covenant to a better covenant. Yes. We're going to go to the, the new. And we know that by the anoint, that the last part, anoint the most holy. Well, was Herod's temple or Zerubbabel's temple, was the most holy already anointed? Yeah, it already was anointed. You know, before they start a sanctuary, before they start the services, they go around and anoint everything. They anoint the priests. They anoint the candelabra. They anoint all the altars. They anoint the holy place, the most holy place. And the word anoint means Messiah. So everything was Messiah, meaning that everything pointed to the Messiah. Jesus is the candelabra. He's the light of the world. Jesus is that, that manna that came down from heaven, right? The, the table of showbread. Jesus is our intercessor. You got the altar of incense. He's the mediator. Okay? All these things pointed to Christ and his ministry. Everything was Messiah, pointing to Jesus. But if the earthly had already been anointed because it was already functioning, then at the end of the 2300 days, what sanctuary hadn't been anointed yet? The heavenly. The heavenly needed to be anointed. So when Jesus ascends to heaven... Everything's anointed before he begins his earthly or his heavenly ministry in the, in the holy place. But notice this, to finish the transgression. So Daniel's in Babylon, and they're there in Babylon because of their disobedience. And God's trying to teach the Jewish people to learn to trust him. So they're there, and they have no temple at this point because the Babylonians destroyed it and the city. They have no city. They have no temple. They're there because of disobedience. And, and this prophecy was to, to Daniel's these people to finish the transgression. Yes. It's time. It's time to stop this game, right? That's what he's telling them. I gave you a sanctuary. You don't even have it anymore. Why don't you have it anymore? Disobedience. You don't even have a city anymore. You're slaves in a foreign land. Time to wake up. Finish the transgression. To make an end of sins. The time's coming at the end of this 70-week prophecy that there will be an end to these sin offerings. In other words, the earthly is going to come to an end to open up to the heavenly. You need to get your lives ready to welcome the Messiah. Put an end to all this transgression. And at that time, there will be an end to all these sin offerings on earth, but if you sin, you can pray to Jesus, who will now be in the heavenly, to bring in everlasting righteousness, something they weren't practicing. The chosen people just kept making a lot of bad choices. But he's saying, look, the Messiah is coming, and you can, if you accept him, you can bring in everlasting righteousness. Every one of you, doesn't matter what you've done, can start living a righteous life as the Messiah himself will live a sinless life. Everlasting righteousness. Not just righteousness in this world. Everlasting righteousness. You begin living a righteous life where? 
Here. If you begin to live a righteous life here by putting on Christ's righteousness, you'll be able to live an everlasting righteous life. That's what he's saying. And he's also kind of pointing to a time when all our sins would be blotted out. If you Jewish people get your act together, wow, what a blessing you could be. What I had promised Abraham be a blessing to the whole world. What greater, greater blessing could you be? And we still got churches thinking, well, the great blessing is for them to own some territory in the Middle East. How is owning some real estate in a world that's just about ready to be destroyed by seven last plagues becomes the Jewish people's blessing to the world? I mean, that makes absolutely no sense to me. What makes sense is that they point us to a Messiah that tells the world, you can stop sinning. You can start living an everlasting righteous life starting today. Wow. And that's what Christ's first coming pointed to. This new covenant. And to seal up the vision of prophecy. All the prophecies pointing to Christ's land. All can be fulfilled. And to anoint the most holy. In other words, that in accepting Christ, and this is what this prophecy points to, that he's not just going to be your lamb, he's going to be your He's going to be your priest. There's still going to be a most holy. Not an earthly, but a heavenly. Right? Didn't it right there point to a heavenly sanctuary there? And that judgment itself. So let me, I'll, I'll stop here. I know it's getting late and I'll pick up from here next time. This, this was a, so know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, Unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, three score, two weeks, or 69 weeks, which is 483 years. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. I don't know what more he could have done for the Jewish people. But in 483 years from this date, Messiah is going to be here. I know you've been waiting for him for a long time. But I'm telling you right now, even though you don't have a temple, and that's okay. Right now, you don't have a temple. You don't have your sacrifice. But I'm telling you right now, Messiah will be here in 483 years. But in that time, you will build the city again. And you will build the temple again. And he will show up in that temple. And he'll put an end to sin offerings because he's going to die. He's not going to become his king. He's putting an end to sin offerings. He's going to come as a suffering servant. He's going to come as a lamb. You see, he's not, he's not coming to destroy the Romans. He's coming here to save the Romans from sin. And he's coming. And they had all that. I mean, even three wise men from the east who were pagans showed up. They should have welcomed him. And now you and I have a prophecy. What... What an amazing opportunity. They had a prophecy that pointed to the first coming of Christ. Changes human history. Do you know something? We have the same opportunity. God has given us a prophecy. Not of Christ's first coming, but what nears to his second coming, but what he must do before he comes back. He has to judge everything. What a work. Can you imagine the responsibility 
There's over 8 billion people in the world. And billions have already lived and died. There's billions of people whose names were in the book of life. Do you believe that? There'd be millions or billions whose names were in the book of life. And he goes over every, every name. The, the history of every person, that book of remembrance. And he makes a decision that's eternal. Those who have died, there's nothing more they can do. Their probation is closed. But we're still living. We still have choices to make. We're still daily adding to the book of remembrance our life story. And I want to encourage everyone here. While most of humanity has closed their book of remembrance, we still have a way to prove that we're still right with God or choose to be right with God. Whatever that case may be, the book of remembrance is real. May God bless everybody here. May every one of us understand the seriousness of our time. And let us, there's all kinds of great controversies. You know, I'd always wondered, why is the middle of this book, it's like three sections. There's history, there's the sanctuary, and there's end time events. Why is the center of this book so much about the sanctuary? Because it points to the time when the books are open. So this is our time. That book is perfectly balanced. As Christ is crucified, Christ is priest, Christ returning king. Everybody living today needs to know Jesus as lamb, priest, and king. So may the Lord bless us as we get out the book for this time, because the world deserves to know that the books are open. Before our closing prayer, we have our closing hymn. Let us pray. Father, we do not know the hour, the day, or the hour of Christ's soon return. But we do know that the hour has already come, in which the books have been opened. We don't know when our own name will come up. But Father, help us to every day make it our first work to consecrate ourselves to you for that day. Help us to make sure that, Father, that our book of remembrance is a book beautifully read, of a life of becoming more like Jesus day by day, to give you the honor that you deserve. Thank you, Father, for all the heavenly angels. Thank you for the righteousness of Jesus, who became one of us so that our lives could change. So help us to put on Christ each day, Father, that the book of remembrance may beautifully speak to you and make you pleased. So, Father, be with us the rest of this day. May we honor you in these sacred hours. It's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.